Hello, welcome to the new podcast series, King of the Middle, with Michael Joel Green and Chris Moore. Here's Michael Green. Hey gang, welcome back to King of the Middle podcast. Uh, thanks for joining in again. We appreciate you listening in. Uh, this is the podcast, two artists trying to honor God through their creativity while also trying to make a living at it. Glad you joined us. Tonight's episode, we're going to actually do a movie review in a, in a way. Chris and I both had a chance recently to see the new Bill and Ted movie, Face the Music. And yeah, though there was some nostalgia present for sure, especially growing up during the first one and being really big fans of the first one, I know. Uh, I could couldn't help but be struck by some of the themes and the the takeaways that the movie kind of presented. And I know that, Chris, you were really affected by it. Do you want to kind of go into that? Yeah. So I think the reason why we're so moved to talk about this, because this is not what we're normally about, talking about movie reviews. But this movie absolutely hit and hammered the the subject matter that we were talking about right from the very first episode of this podcast, which is your dreamers, your artists, and you feel like you have a destiny or a vision for your work that's going to do good for the world and you haven't accomplished it yet. And worse for Bill and Ted is they've been told they're going to save the world. And not only has it not happened, but they're like performing, they're doing a performance at, at a wedding for the family. And it's obvious these guys haven't done anything they've mentioned that i think they perform in a local lodge is like the last gig whatever it is they're they're like they have not accomplished any of the dreams that they had nor have they created a song that was going to unite the world so what's really interesting here is that um i just as soon as this movie started within the first five to ten minutes i was like oh my gosh i feel so much in common with these guys that I, I was just like, this is this is really hitting me right in the heart. It's hitting me right in the gut. Yeah, let me so, let me actually yeah. stop you really quickly. I think just to kind of give a brief background in case uh, anyone one has not seen the original and two didn't know there was even a new Bill and Ted's movie out. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So the first one took place was it 20, 30, 25, 30 years ago? Nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. Two kind of slacker guys, wannabe rock stars, uh, very likable, very innocent, very naive, uh, kind of go time traveling. I can't even really, really remember to they put together a, a history project of like famous uh, luminaries in history. Mm-hmm. So this movie takes place 30 years when they're middle age and they're still kind of, they were told in the first one that they would be the most influential rock band of all time. So this one you got two middle-aged guys uh, who have not made it and are still telling people that they have time traveled and there's a prophecy that they're going to unite the world through their music, but they have not seen it happen yet. And their family thinks they're crazy. Family members think they're crazy. Um, but yet they have still told... Anyway, I'm going to let you go in yeah. a second. But then yeah. they are approached by someone from the, another dimension, the future. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Uh and said, told that the world is going to basically fall apart unless they write a song that's going to unite the world. And they have, I think, 70 minutes to write it. So that sort of takes you up. So anyway, go ahead. Didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. Yeah, exactly. So the setup for the film, spoiler alert, turn this off. Do not listen to this podcast if you want. If you do not want it ruined, go see it and then come back. But 
Yeah, actually, the wives of Bill and Ted are from the past, so they do know about their time traveling and whatnot. But the fact is, they even know what the prophecy is, but they've never seen it come to fruition. And Bill and Ted haven't seen it. So we're set up. That's the setup of the movie. And then the future, uh, George Carlin's daughter, his character, who was the one that took him around the first movies because he's deceased in real life. It's his daughter now who's come to take over the job and says, you guys haven't delivered and the future's angry at you. So that's where they go to the future and find out, uh-oh, our destiny, we have not met it. And now we only have 70 something minutes to, to meet it or we're doomed. And what's interesting is, um, you know, I just love that we start that setup that these guys feel they have a destiny to do something great and they're plugging away they have a house they have wives they have two awesome daughters which the performances in the movie by the two girls that are playing their daughters particularly keanu reeves the, the girl that's playing ted's daughter is amazing it's like spitting image of him as a as a yeah, girl in that really age it's amazing it. I was amazed. Just flipping them and just absolutely amazing but they they've got their family and all this stuff but they go what i love about it is they start off and they're going to marriage therapy they're going to therapy and as a matter of fact, these guys are so tied together that they go to therapy and they bring, they go together with their wives and neither wife expected that they were going to therapy together as a foursome. So already it shows you that they're so dedicated to each other that there's actually stuff happening with their family and with their, with their wives and their marriages. And these guys love their wives, but they absolutely love their wives, but they, um, they can't let go. And it's at the point of there's actually peril for their marriages. And I, I thought, my goodness, once again, this is the second major theme in the thing. And it, the film had just started out. And already they're talking about broken dreams, not being able to let go, and risk of family, embarrassment. And one of the guys, Bill or Ted's dad, was it Ted's? I can't remember. But dad actually gives him a, yells at them during this wedding in the beginning for one of the family members that you're losers. You haven't done anything. What are you doing? And it's like, this just resonated with me again as an, as an artist trying to figure out my place in the world. This comes up with exactly the things that we were talking about uh, in the first couple of episodes of this podcast. We were talking about this thing, the embarrassment of not living up to <laughs> expectations and continuing on. So that that hit me. What did what did you think? Did that did that stick out for you, Michael? What was yeah, your reaction? Yeah, definitely your did. Uh, you know, also the what I think to go along with what you said about the therapy, they're also very codependent upon each other. Uh, which, not really, I'm not sure that's kind of, I'm not sure that's what we're talking about going along with our, our theme tonight, but I think it probably does because they haven't, their codependency is very much tied, I'm speculating, upon their quest to succeed or to make it. Um, so there is that idea of, if it's even kind of um, in the Bible, you, God's like a man, you know, shall leave your family and be joined in one, husband and wife. And in a way, they're not able to fulfill that because they're still unsatisfied with their unsuccessful pursuit of music. And it's made them feel... It's made them doubt, but it's also made them codependent upon each other, where they can't give their wives their full self because their full self is intertwined with the other Ted, Bill, Bill to Ted. 
Mm -hmm. And there, and that's interesting. You raise that because that brings up the issue of what about when you're putting your work and your friendships or your relationships outside of your marriage before your marriage and you love in this, it's very clear that Bill and Ted love their wives and they really don't want to lose them. It, it, it's and I love that that it's like very pure and in, in that it, it's like the love is there all around for their love of their daughters or love of their wives but there is a danger in putting your work and your relationships and being tied into your your sense of destiny and your work over your family and over and and what's interesting kind of moving into the the from the wives to the daughters relationship is the daughters they have in, in completely imbued in their daughters this sense of love for music to where their daughters want to impress their dads and really engage with them in music which is really awesome it's like a dream to have kids and to have them want to do what you do and to want to engage you in that way it also shows from a perspective of daughters which are sons can be similar in many ways but daughters get their identity a lot of their identity from their fathers and there's a lot of a lot of this is written in therapy and, and comes up in studies that daughters really get a lot of their identity. You'd think, well, sons do. Daughters must get it from their mom. And it's like they get a lot of their identity from their fathers. And you can see that these two daughters want to be like their dads. They want it. They, they, they want their dads to succeed. They love their dads and they want to impress them with their knowledge. But there's something about Bill and Ted in this. They're not living up to the expectations of their families, their wives, their families. And legitimately as an outsider looking in, I think you would say these guys are not, they're, they're really good loving dads, but they're, they've let their dream get out of hand and they need to be careful because they could lead their family astray. They might lose their marriage and they could lead their daughters astray or they could leave, leave their daughters picking up the pieces if their marriages break up. So there's, there's like a lot of weight. And what I really like about the movie is they make that known to you. And they lay that on you that the bigger thing, even than fixing the world, saving the world, is their families. Like, you're more concerned about Bill and Ted saving their families even than you are them saving the world in this movie. And that's, I thought that was awesome. And they really hit on it about the daughters and the wives and 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 the family and just all that stuff just hit me as I was watching it. And I was like, man, this is the psychology behind this film. I'm, I do not feel that I'm reading into it because I do not like reading into movies stuff that's not there. I don't like pasting stuff on and saying this movie is religious and it's faith-based because because I'm a believer. I, I hate doing that. I really think this movie hit on all these great things because they're profound truths. And this movie just touched on so many of them, which is why I, I, I so much wanted to talk about this film. So, um, yeah. So, any comments there, Man, Michael? I, I, the, the marriage scene or the wedding scene I love the way they did that because everyone the father uh, the wives the wives are still supportive because they're from the past and so they but the rest of the wedding guests think these guys are crazy the, the father thinks that his son is crazy but the daughters are fully supportive and they're the only ones that actually get it and so even when they played this crazy song during the wedding that is done mostly by mouth instruments and I mean, it's way out there but the daughters afterwards adore it and they're talking about the inspiration that the two guys must have drawn from to write that melody and stuff and that that's pretty that's sort of turning a lot of uh 
movie cliches on on the head because usually the parent is not or the the, the child does not respect or and like the parent too much so this is really nice to see in a reversal of that where the daughters not idolize but look up to their dads and love their musical history and and passion so much that the daughters have this musical knowledge that goes back hundreds of years. Um, that was great. And then they paid that off by the daughters then having a huge, um, a huge role to play. Yes. In the, and we, we want to save. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to get into that yet, but yes. Um, what did you think about? So Bill and Ted's concept for writing this song that they've never been able to write is let's cheat. Let's jump through time forward and find the song so we don't actually have to write it. I love the fact that they looked for a shortcut rather than trying to look for an answer, like deep probing, because we're going to find out where the answer came from and what it was. And they're, they're looking for this superficial solution. We need to get this and we need to go in the future. So... And of course, the, I think the first house they land in is them a few years in the future. I can't remember. I think they jump three times at least. But one of the first earlier times they jump is they find themselves in a big mansion and the guys hand themselves a song. The future selves were waiting for them and hand them a song. Um, I think the first time they were at some cruddy, terrible place performing and they were losers. And then the second time they're ready. The, the Bill and Ted of the future are ready. And they, you know, Bill and Ted of the future, number two, hand hand them this song but it turns out that that wasn't bill and ted's song <laughs> it's dave grohl's song that's not released yet <laughs> that's so good so yeah and then they go and confront them as dave grohl's at the front door saying i'm gonna call the police and he's trying to get in his own home because he was off doing something and he was away and bill and ted knew that and so the the, the question is uh how do we see in our own work are there any ways that we have cheated because i didn't i didn't have an immediate reaction at like oh i can see in my life right how that affected me and i went uh-oh i bet you there are ways that this applies to me very directly and the fact that i can't instantly connect with it means it's deeper down <laughs> which means i need to probe a little more because there's something to be said about this shortcutting what do you have to say ab about that a reflection of that man i think that that part was really touching for me in when they wanted they wanted to uh, there's so much to say here. Uh, mm -hmm. I just I've been I was just jotting stuff down. Please uh, do, please talk. Um, they don't think they can write that song because in their minds they've never done it. Now they may have written a song in the past that was really that good, but because they didn't have that validation from an audience, to them it it wasn't worthy. That could be true. It could also be that. They just hadn't done, they hadn't written a song. And a lot of that is, you know, there's, there's a myth that the, 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 the really, you know, the great artist, the great, whatever, the great rock star, it just, they it pull, they pull a song out of air. No, I mean, it, there's so much work that has to be done. Uh, reminds me of that Malcolm Gladwell book that came out several years ago, I think it was called Outliers. Uh, and the premise mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. was, yeah. if you want to master a craft, it takes 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with that. And 
you have to put in those 10,000 hours before you can write the song that is being talked about. Uh, so those thoughts, I think the other, like you said, it's uh, one, for me, it's more about, you know, even if you could, you could, you could cheat and skip to the future and have that song given to you rather than going through the process, which is painful, of actually writing it. Uh, one, it's hard. Two, it's mm-hmm. you have to open yourself up yeah. emotionally, which takes a vulnerability that is hard. Um, it's a painful process. Uh, would I snap my fingers and have a novel that I'm working on completely done? It would be tempting, but at the same time, look what I would be passing up. The, the grueling, the immensely rewarding uh, satisfaction of having finished that done the work, the effort. And I think God wants that. It's like God wants us to go through that process. Uh, and I think that's also very similar to life. Uh, I remember I, I had a conversation years ago with, um, with, with a friend. And we, we had this conversation about if you... Like she, she did not like the uncertainty of life. Uh, wanted to sort of bypass it. Uh, one of the things to be very certain, know the answer. Uh, I uh, probably, uh, I have to confess, I, 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 I love that uncertainty. I love the not knowing. <laughs> it's sort of a struggle. And so we were talking, I was like, you know, if you had a crystal ball that could tell you the answer to this decision you're facing or crisis you're facing, would you use it? And she was very quick to say yes, and I, I, no, not a chance, because you're missing out on one of the glories that that God has given us in this life, the the uncertainty, the not knowing, but in a way that makes us alive. It lets you know that your heart is alive, and that you're, you know, some of my greatest memories are when you know I was facing you know I was, I was going through intense times or whatever but that adrenaline and that just living on prayer and you like it's it's the greatest it's the greatest fuel and i'm i'm reading a lot into this mm-hmm. but they 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 wanted to cheat it they wanted mm-hmm. to bypass everything that goes into it uh rather than going through the self-doubt the vulnerability the actual work involved, opening themselves up, and facing those demons of, am I good enough? Do I have it in me? I've never written... I actually started like scrolling through all the the songs I've written in the past when I was watching this movie and going, man, could I I actually play that song? And is that song actually, you know, lyrically something that could actually have a positive impact? And uh, it was cool. I mean, I... That's flattering myself, perhaps, and definitely, but it's just, it's cool to sit there and go, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I, I that song might actually, there, there's, there's a great message to that song I wrote, you know, 18 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you kind of relive that process of when you wrote that song and what you're going through at the time, but if I had just skipped all that, I wouldn't have those memories of, oh man, I remember exactly where I was in my living room on the couch when I wrote, you know, that song, or I was in a IHOP coffee shop at two in the morning writing that lyric, you know, so 
Mm-hmm. Those are great moments you take with you, and and you and we you shouldn't want to skip those. Yeah, and I think you hit on something that's really interesting about um, yeah when you skip a process, you're you're cheating yourself. You're cheating in order to get to that importance to to get to something profound. You have to go through that process and that hurt and that uncertainty. I think. One thing to keep in mind that's possible, we don't really know, but in the movie, it's been a long time since the other movies, and they do mention that they've written a bunch of songs. So I feel like to some extent, they've done some of what you're saying, Michael, but then what's happened is now they're starting to have doubts because they've done it for so long, and maybe they haven't done it to the level that you're talking about, and if they had really been probing and didn't have that weight of every single thing that we're doing, there's so much weight on our shoulders because this is going to be the greatest song ever. This is going to be that we're going to write the song that unites the world. Like they knew something that they had a great destiny and the weight of that can kill you. That can chop off and kill your ability to be creative and do what you were meant to do. And I, and I, we kind of got onto this again in our first couple episodes of the podcast, where when you feel the importance of what you do has to be perfect and amazing, it can squelch your ability to ever do it. It can, and I felt that a lot in my life where I was, I felt so much pressure for what I was doing that I felt it was impossible to do anything really great because what I did is I went every, at everything with a very somewhat mechanical, almost like more mathematical or more just like checklists. I did things with checklists rather than letting all my brain and everything creativity work. And what would happen with that is nothing ever came out anywhere near close to as good. And this definitely relates to my career when I was editing, when I was working in higher tier stuff. I was always so worried that everything I did, if it wasn't perfect, it would I would look dopey, not very talented, and that I would fail the people who had very high expectations. Because working in, stu- in the studio system, there's a lot of high expectations. And I always felt like I... I don't know, how do I do this right? And in recent years, as I've been letting go of that, and as you and I have been working together, I've started thinking, you know, what really derailed me in that work was I was always so worried about the perfection and, and having to live to a certain level of expertise and excellence that I could never just look at something as an artist and say, how do I do this? Oh, I have it in me to be able to do this and then execute it. And I couldn't do that because... I was so worried about the process. And I think that really, I guess, hit me. It really hit me with this movie that Bill and Ted, for all these years, have not been able to do it because they've had so much pressure on them of what they've got to accomplish that they haven't been able to. They've even had moments of brilliance. They've had moments of brilliance where they've done incredible things. You know, they've had moments of brilliance, but they haven't been able to really let go to find out what where their great gifts are and what they're capable of. And so... Like you said, they're jumping around the some of the hard work, possibly, and some of that intensity that would have, and if they really embraced it, it would have flushed out what they this amazing music that that some of the things that they could have done. Or as we're going to talk about as we get closer to the end of this, they may have learned the lesson that they're going to learn by the end. They would have learned it earlier. And when we get to it, I'll talk in a few minutes about or about my parallel to this, (laughs) to to where we're going. Um, I think the final thing that I wanted to say on that subject matter was, um, yeah, about if you have such high demand and such high regard for what you must do, it makes it so hard to do. And, and Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut this no, off. I, I, think I, I had something else I wanted to say, but I lost it because I think I covered it 
So I'll just no, I, I understand. Reset. I think I Back understand you. what you're saying. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies ever is uh, this movie called Big Fish, and it's a Tim Burton movie. And in the movie, uh, the the main character is this larger than life guy who is a very he's a life of every party. He's a storyteller, but as a child. Now, his stories are mixed with half truth and a little bit of an exaggeration. But as a child, he was visited. Now, according to his story, by he went to visit the uh, the local witch in town. And she told him his future. And she showed it to him. And throughout the whole movie, you're kind of, you're, you're getting, you know, you're getting, you're not told what, they don't tell you what the the future of the witch told him was or excuse me, tells him of how he dies. So his whole life, he believes in that so wholeheartedly that he can live very passionately, very risk-taking, very, I use the word free, freely, uh, in a sense, uh, because he believes that that's how he goes, and it doesn't happen until this time. Uh, so, and there you've got a, a man who hears a prophecy or a future, a, a foretold future about himself, and uses it. It doesn't paralyze him; it invigorates him. Uh, versus this, where we may know uh, God. Has a future and a, a future for us, um, but we still get overwhelmed by doubt, circumstances, uh, to where it cripples us because it's like I thought this I thought this was supposed to happen. You know, I, I, I this is not matching up with what I, I thought they told me was going to happen. Or, or, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, what I what I what I. As you were talking, what I was thinking was, um, what's very interesting is a modern, I, I think we have a hard time when we know our future, even if it emboldens us. I think it, it's, I don't know if it's 50-50, maybe for some it's like, if I knew my future or some big thing about it, it would make me more excited. For others, it might shut them down. And I think that's why it's great that we don't know the future. <laughs> um, and, and I was thinking a modern equivalent, like, Maybe you wouldn't know the future, but if you were the child, like a trust fund child who like a Bill Gates kid or something, and you knew your parents were going to hand you the family business and a fortune, you knew where your future was going and you wouldn't have to accomplish as much. And actually, I say I, I mentioned Bill Gates because he has said publicly he's not handing over everything and all, billions of dollars to his kids because he wants them to work and have a destiny. But they don't know it for sure. They don't know exactly what it is. There, there's some flux. And I think that's good. And I think for me, I would rather not know because I don't know what I would accomplish if I knew, like that I would just rest on my laurels. I don't know. I think it's better that, and I know as a Christian, we know biblically, Jesus told us, even he didn't know a lot in his earthly body, what God was going to do, what his father was going to do. And that's because we have to rely on him. And it's only in recent years that I've realized because I always wanted to know the future was going to be good. I always wanted this sense that I could see the future was going to be good. My dreams were going to come through and, and come true. In more recent years, realizing as I've gotten older that I have to rely on the walk not knowing and I have to do the best work that I can not knowing. And I think 
that has been a good thing for me to learn and it was hard to learn and i'm learning this a bit later in life like i i have to let go and be calm and trust the father because i don't know and that i i, I just seeing this i can in our discussion i'm just kind of seeing how this whole destiny thing can be i guess it could be good but i think for for us as believers it's probably really good that we don't know because that's how the lord keeps us in trust and if we do have certain things laid out for us because we come from families that have that a that structure they have there's something known in because of the family's power or whatever that isn't necessarily good either so um yeah anyway um did you have did you have anything else any other thoughts on that <laughs> no i i was i was, I was we're gonna probably move on because i i was thinking about this as you were talking and what i what i'm seeing is that trying to get a handle on this um to when they when they like when they went to the future and they saw the guys that were in dave Grohl's house they go and they see this huge mansion guys out by the pool you know and to them it was we finally made it how did they know they had made it because of the house they lived in yeah um, yep the financial uh, windfall but yet the two daughters probably would not have defined their father's success as such and the two wives probably would have not because they're they have traveled through time and you know it, and so the Bill and Ted are probably the only ones in their immediate families that have a skewered vision of what it means to make it um, rather than write a song that is going to rip at the guts of millions of people it was wow uh, my future me is in this mansion with a you know martini or whatever in hand and that by a fancy pool i must mm-hmm. have made it <laughs> well how do you know you know it's uh yeah what good is yeah. it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul uh what if they um so i i don't know i was struck by that um which yeah, always and their wives i'm sorry their wives were princesses and there's a joke about that they actually are which means they came from some kind of privilege or wealth but they gave that up that wasn't it was very interesting that their view of success was not the material yeah it's now, a it's a juxtaposition now the, yeah. an important question to that we have to face as here's where the tension is uh, the conflict because we know that we have to provide for our families um, and if we don't provide for our families then we are we are sinning uh, so what is where is the line between providing for your family and giving your family a house like Dave Grohl's house and huge pool and uh, just windfall after windfall I don't know the answer to that. Uh, my daydreams, as the years have gone by, have have been humbled two hundred percent. You know, uh, so that's that's a that's a, that's the that's the uh, the sort of tension that I think any artist faces, uh, specifically a uh, because you you know you have to provide for your family and your children. Uh, but what does that actually mean practically? 
What does it look like? Yeah, it can't be based entirely on a, a materialistic understanding, obviously, like you don't need Dave Grohl's house. You don't need that. But you do have to provide. And and in this movie, you don't see so much of a, a problem with that because it's it's not so much providing a house because they have a house and they have decent cars, but it's about you're chasing a dream that really isn't who you are supposed to be. And you're spending so much time on this obsessed and you're actually obsessed with your buddy and your and your relationship which means your connection to work is more important in some ways than your marriages are because we get that in the beginning. That's the danger. Um, and we know we don't need to have the big house to be a success, but we do need to have that connection and we need to have that grounding with our families. And again, as Christians, we need to know, we know that we actually need to be looking at the Lord and say, it doesn't matter if I write the greatest song ever in the history of time. I mean, that's a conceit, science fiction conceit in this story, but what matters is that I'm serving you. Uh, and, by taking on huge burden that's in this movie it's literally put on their shoulders by by people from the future but in our lives we do that as i was saying earlier we actually do that to ourselves we put these huge world-changing life-changing dreams and burdens on ourselves and for some of us who are daft i guess we we do that as artists and then we try to live up to it and we can't and it's a great example of if we're trying to get somewhere and we're trying to attain these things, the real attain attainment of it is letting go, trusting the Lord, and not worrying about having to do this huge thing. And I want to get to that. I want to get to that exact thing because that's how we end this movie and this discussion. But there's one point really quickly before that, which is the guys get killed by a future. The future doesn't trust and doesn't believe that the future, quote unquote, the future doesn't trust that Bill and Ted are going to succeed. So they send a robot to kill them and everybody around them and family and everybody dies and goes to hell. But here's the, the here's where we get a, again into what we've been talking about in this series, this podcast series. They go down to hell and we find out Death, who was in their band, they formed a band with Death and they had a falling out and Death went on his own and they all kind of failed. And now Death doesn't want to talk to them. He's really hurt. And it's absolutely hilarious and it's beautiful and it's a it's a therapy session with death bill ted and death have to go into a room in hell and sit and talk about about their hurt feelings and how they've let each other down and again we've we've been talking about this and we'll talk more about this in our podcast and we've already we've already hit on this subject what happens in your relationships with your friends when you're working with them and things don't work out how do you handle those the breakdowns and how do you do that and maintain your friendships in a godly way and this movie went right to it because the guys had not dealt with the fallout that they had with death who was the most amazing bassist in history or whatever um yeah what did you think about I that i loved it I, you know <laughs> I, I loved it and the guy who played death i i've always liked that guy he's one of those character actors that you you, you don't really know his name but you you know that every time you see him you like him but you know his name don't I do, you? I do. Oh, yeah. what's his name william sandler Again. Yeah, and he was the bad guy in Die Hard too. Yeah, yeah. He's the bad guy who works under John Amos. Who you? Yeah. I never realized how funny he was. Yeah. I've and he's been in other stuff, yeah. and he plays an action guy. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. But <laughs> but you get the you get the sense from their their conversation that death death got he became very famous in their band and and then went solo. And but what I loved about it, man, was that they they. They clear the air as far as what happened, and I think it's t uh, Ted. He's like, 
I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for kind of the way we treated you or something like that. And I kept waiting for, I'm sorry for the way you treated you, but we, but, we, da-da-da-da, you know, I'm sorry, but. There was no but, it was just, sorry for the way we treated you. And that is, mm-hmm. that's true apology, by the way. We live in a culture that either says, I'm sorry if you were offended, <laughs> or I'm sorry, but I'm just wired that way. It was just, no, I'm sorry yeah, for the way. Yeah. And then death, death says, I let the fame go to my head. I, I that's great, yep. and I'm we're yeah. reading a lot into a. a, a, a no, but that's, I don't think that's so at great. all. First, it's no. just Mm-mm. apology yeah. without any virtue signaling afterwards. No, I was wrong. I yeah. sinned against you, and then the other person, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and then fame went to my head. Um, the world and its adulation went to my head and it lofted me up in pride. Uh, that's great, man. I love that. Yeah. that. That was the best character in the movie. I, I loved it. That was the best scene pretty much in the film. I actually got like kind of choked up. I was like, this is so well done. But here's what's interesting about that moment. And it's a shame, a sad truth about us as human beings. The reason they're able to let their guard down so quickly and make up is because they're in hell. He's the only guy that can get them up. They've only got a few minutes left to save the world and their daughters are there and they've got all these people that they brought down there because of this mayhem. And it's like, we have to cut to the raw truth in in what we've done wrong and our hurt and get to it immediately because life is at stake, time is of the essence. And it doesn't mean it's disingenuine. I believe it's 100% true. And the way they pulled it off in this movie was so nice. It was so true and honest, like you said. But why is it it's unfortunate that we as human beings wait to have these heart-to-hearts until there's really heavy stuff? It is so hard for us to have these these heart-to-hearts where we need to talk with people we've hurt or that have hurt us and have those conversations until some external force that's really intense puts us in those conversations. And that's something where, again, as a believer, I look at that and I say, man, I see my own my own brokenness and how I deal with things that I put them off as long as I possibly can until I can't ever do it. And if those guys hadn't been sent back down to meet death, they may have never rectified with him. So I, I just, that really hit me like, man, why can't, why does it take such intense high stakes to fix things with people and I still have some unresolved stuff that's floating out there in my own life with people from the past and I looked at that and I was like ah, I wish I could I wish I could find a way to put myself in this mindset without being on the edge of some really heavy duty stuff you know so yeah that that's really hit me hard uh, in, in, in that in the film and that um, but the beauty and the payoff of all of this is what comes after that when they they literally don't do they hug each other do those guys actually hug each other i can't remember i I think they do a group hug i can't remember but it's equivalent to that i think they do and it's like they and then they they go up but now the real revel the real true revelation of what's wrong is bill and ted find out about what it is they've been missing and and what what do you, you want to tell everybody about that 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was not a, the the prophecy, for lack of a better term, was not about Bill and Ted. It was the daughters, um, and the, not the ortho, not the the way you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and yes. it was the daughters actually by bringing people together um, that that do it <laughs> to do it. Um, and they, what they do is for people, yeah, I mean, the, the, you've seen the film hopefully by this point, if you're watching this, it's everybody through all of time has to play together because the conceit they do in this movie is what they did in the third Cloverfield movie. The open vortex of craziness is through all time, all at the same time. So everybody has to play together and the daughters get that it's not about them. They're facilitators, and Bill and Ted never understood that, that it was not about glorifying themselves or the weight of the world, saving it was not on them. It was on, it was not on them. It was, they were part of something that was much bigger, which was life. Now, of course, it's not a Christian movie, so it's not, oh, it's you, Father, it's you. But for Christians to take from that is, it's the Lord working in this world that saves us. It is not on us. And the Father's they got it. The good thing is they got it in time and they figured it out. And I think if you're watching, when you were watching this movie, I think you, like me, figured it out an hour within an hour before the end of the movie. 45 minutes before the end of the movie, I knew it. But like you said, it wasn't how I thought, but I knew it was going to be the daughters. It was the daughters were going to have a better idea. But it wasn't about this current this current politicizing of women are smart and men are dumb. Like you said, that's not what they did. They had the daughters realized everybody has to work together and that was just awesome beautiful i was getting teary-eyed man i was getting like tears were like welling up yeah. i was like they hammered the truth of life in that moment yeah not and with no their daughters one, no one and they go back in time and they get Jimi hendrix louis armstrong Mozart. <laughs> yeah. i mean <laughs> this flautist i mean it's this drummer from you know cave times, cave times. a cave dweller <laughs> and yeah. so you get these icons of music musical history but even then the spotlight was not on them uh it was the song uniting people and no one was getting the spotlight on them and that was really nuts it was um i have to think that that heaven will be something like that where Mm-hmm. Any spotlight's going to be on Jesus, uh, not going to be on us. And everybody working together in joy, joyful celebration. Everybody was playing, and what happened is in the moment, this the end of the world vortex was coming, and people didn't notice it. When they started playing, they didn't notice it. And that's what was awesome, is realizing that it's none of us can do this. And without getting into a broad secular humanism that it's all of us man and we all do it i'm putting it on god that's what i take from this film but but it's you can't do it yourself and the whole thing that gets back to the core of why bill and ted couldn't do what their what they thought their they couldn't fulfill their destiny because they were putting it on them and they believed that they had they were the only ones that had the solution and that was just not it and that was so biblical in its correctness. <laughs> and I think what resonated for me is that has been the problem where I have had a hard time being able to do anything to glorify God because I spent too much time putting the weight on myself and taking wanting to take glory for myself and my work and say, Father, it's you. 
but I want to put a lot of glory on me. And the only way I could ever do anything and have ever been more free to start working and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to work for you, Father. And if I fail and I screw up, it's okay. I, I my identity isn't in my own deeds, uh, my own creativity. And I can learn. I can possibly get better or, or not. Hopefully I can get better and learn every day. But I'm not going to heap this on me and say my value is is on what I'm doing. And I think that that has opened me up personally to exponentially increasing in my ability to just the creative endeavors that I'm doing. They're far from great and perfect, but I feel like what I've been doing has gotten so much better because I'm not putting that weight on my shoulders anymore. So have you felt, have you had any kind of personal revelations we've kind of talked about in this series uh, that kind of that you feel in any way that that touches on anything you've experienced? I feel that I definitely don't have, uh, I'm definitely letting go of some of the pressure that I used to put on myself. Uh, I would drive myself hard and it would get, yeah, it, would, it would get overwhelming. And I would, I would also do, I had a lot of stuff going on outside of, you know, artistic stuff. I mean, relationships and ministry and job and everything else. And, you know, I would get really tied in knots. And I feel that, yeah, I feel like just I don't have that, that part of me that gets so racked up with um, pushing the, you know, last ditch effort, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I don't have that. I'm not putting that pressure on myself anymore. And I want to say that I'm getting to a place where I can enjoy, um, enjoy my life. I've, I think I've always enjoyed my life, but to be able to look at the small moments, uh, rather than always being, well, even when the small moments are happening, you know, uh, sitting, Sitting on the couch with my wife and the dog, um, thinking about <laughs> a book I'm doing that's got to get published and it's got to make a lot of money. Um, like I'm, I'm more engaged with the small moments right now. So I, yeah, I think it's it's sort of it's a nice place. It's a nice place to be. Yeah. Mm, I think it's awesome. Well, I think that's a great wrap yeah. up point. One question for before this I leave. I, here's a question for you that I had. We always end movies at the climax, you know, in the resolution. If this movie had have carried over 20 more minutes and shown what happens once Bill, Ted, the daughters, everyone gets back home and resumes normal life, what do Bill and Ted do then? Uh, you know what I'm, it, it's, as you were asking this question, the image popped into my mind of one of my favorite films of all time, Bullet, Steve McQueen. And he's gone through this whole journey of how hard it is to be a cop in this dark stuff that he deals with and his girlfriend is having a hard time because she actually stump she actually follows him in unbeknownst to him into a crime scene and is really disturbed and is like she's struggling with can i even be with a cop and in the end he comes home after he solves this case but it's been really hard and dark and he puts his gun on the edge of the commode or on the edge of his sink and he washes his face and he looks up and it's one of the most beautifully cut, edited things I've ever seen in any film. It cuts to him, to the gun, I think back to him, and the gun, and it's out. And you're seeing the psychology of 
are you going to keep doing what you're doing and doing things the way you were? Are you, can you change? Can you change for the people you love, for someone you love? And I'm not saying that as a cop, you shouldn't do that. He's one of the greatest cops and, you know, but he's struggling with that. And I think if I was looking at Bill and Ted, I think two weeks later, they might be looking out going, buddy, let's hit the, should we go? There'd be this moment like they they get a phone call and they're, they're going to take a gig somewhere at some bar mitzvah or something, but it might conflict with their family. And they're struggling with, do we go do this bar mitzvah? Or, or Dave Grohl is like, guys, you saved the world. Let's work together. And they have a phone call. And of course, sure, you go work with Dave Grohl. You're going to get paid. You're probably going to be fine. But if there was something about that moment that was going to make it harder for them to be with their family and their daughters, and they had Dave Grohl on the phone, are we going to say yes or no? I would have ended that movie with Bill and Ted looking at each other, and you don't know the answer they're going to give, but they kind of s- smile at each other, and you know the answer is no, mm-hmm. we're not. That's probably what I would have done, but I think, man, those guys are still going to struggle with with this because they love what they're doing, and they're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I agree. Thanks. Thanks, my brother. Thanks for thank a great you, chat. And, and thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been a fun conversation. And if you haven't seen the movie, um, I hope we didn't ruin too much, but go out and <laughs> watch it and uh, let us know what you think. Um, yes. Tell us if we're off base and we reached but i don't i don't think so i don't think we reached at all yeah so until all right everybody thanks so much for joining in king in the middle podcast we will see you next time thanks everybody bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening to king of the middle with michael joe green and chris moore check us out on youtube or facebook if you'd like to see the vidcast version of this podcast